We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Today, let's open up to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5, and as we finish the chapter, there's actually a few points that I think stand out. One is the compensation for elders. Two is the accusation towards elders. And then three is the ordination of elders. And I don't know how far we're going to get today. It depends on how personal uh, I get. And so, you know, this is a a heavy uh, passage. And I was almost thinking, man, we're talking about pastors today and elders and you know, paying them money and things like that. And I thought, maybe I shouldn't teach this one because, you know, the congregation might take this the wrong way. Um, But, you know, the cool thing is uh, we're just working our way through the Bible, and I know you guys know that that's not my heart. And, uh, And what we find right here in studying the pastoral epistles is that Timothy and Titus were, uh, to a point, elders in every city. That's why we read in chapter 3 about the qualifications of elders, and that's why we read Paul's words to Titus in chapter 1, verse 5. This is the whole reason I left you there in Crete, that you should set things in order and that you should appoint elders in every city. And so, you know, as we read through the scriptures, what we find is elders are not just senior citizens. Elders are pastors. Elders are overseers. We're going to see as we go through the scripture that that's synonymous with uh, what we have uh, and what we're speaking of today. And the first thing we read about is compensation. Look at verse 17. It says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. He speaks now of the elders. You know, we've been talking about the young men, the young women, how to treat them, how to treat the older men and the older women, how to take care of the widows. And now he talks a little bit about the elders, or we would also refer to them as the pastors. It literally speaks of someone who's older in age, uh, well advanced in life. In the New Testament, the word is used of an office in the church, and it's used interchangeably actually throughout the scriptures for bishops, overseers, and pastors. If you remember back in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul was there in Miletus, and he called for the Ephesian elders. And then in verse 28, he called them overseers. He called these same guys pastors, shepherd the flock. And so this is in reference to pastors. And you know, we have uh, myself, I'm a senior pastor. We have Pastor Joey, Pastor Henry. Uh, we also have Richard, Pastor Richard. We don't go by titles, but these are guys who are ordained. It sounds kind of funny, huh? Uh, we also have guys that maybe aren't ordained. They can't do marriages, but in one sense, they have the ministry of a pastor. For example, Jesse and Rich with the children, or Jerry and some of you guys with the youth. It's a kind of a pastoral role. And so it's a real integral, important part of the church. And it's good, you know, for you guys to know, well, what does the Bible talk about when, you know, we refer to these offices in the church? Because you can go to the church down the street or across the way, and that might get weird. And so it's good for us to know what the scriptures teach. 
John MacArthur said the term pastor emphasizes their shepherding or feeding function. Overseer is their authority and leading function. And then elder refers to that requirement where they should have an element of spiritual maturity as men. And so we read here in verse 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And so we look at their compensation, first of all, for their rule. Hopefully they rule well. One translation says elders who provide effective leadership. Or another says elders who direct the affairs of the church well. You know, and it's kind of cool the way the church works, you guys. This is Jesus' church. He's the head of the church. He's on the throne. He's in control. But, you know, when you look at all the churches across the world, there there's guys that are also part of it that need to cooperate with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's cool when you get elders who understand that. It's not my church, it's his church. And for us as leaders, we got to just be good followers. we got to be men of prayer, men of the word. And, and it's cool when you understand the dynamics of a church. That's why not every church is really right on, because even though Jesus is the head of the church and individually he saves people, sometimes you get congregations where the pastors don't really have a heart for the people and things are kind of weird, the elders are kind of weird. You know, we got to praise God for leaders who know the way and go the way and show the way, who love God, who love God's people, who love God's word, and they lead according to his word who rule according to Jesus' commands. You know, again, John MacArthur said, the church's ability to fulfill its calling is humanly dependent on one crucial fact, the quality of its leadership. He said Hosea's statement to the people in Hosea 4, verse 9, like people, like priests, is implicable today. Churches do not rise higher than the level of their leadership. And that's why it's important for us to understand that. You know, we've got to thank God for those who rule well. Um, we've got to thank God for those who rule according to the Scriptures. The word well, it means they rule with excellence. They're commendable. They're blameless. The word rule actually refers to be, you know, a protector or a guardian. And that's what we're supposed to do, you guys, for you, man. We want you guys to go to heaven when you die. We want you to have a wonderful life while you live. And a large part of that is just all of us as a church functioning in a healthy way. You've got pastors and teachers who are teaching the word. You've got musicians who are in it for the glory of God. You've got servants who clean. And you've got just all these different things going on. And when that happens, it's so cool to see the way that God is glorified when the elders rule well. He says right here in verse 17, let elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. You see, first we have their rule, then we have their reward. And they should receive double honor. The word occurs approximately 40 times, this Greek word for honor, and refers primarily to that honor that is given in recognition of one who serves or rank in service. And so, you know, I have a pastor, and I... I, I love him. I honor him. I've had different pastors over my life. I actually have three that have stood out over my life. And I pray for them every single day. You know, and maybe I don't talk to them every single day, 
But they kind of have a special place in my heart. And when I see them, even though I'm a pastor, for whatever reason, and I don't require you guys to call me pastor, I don't know why, I just call them pastor. This is something in me. There should be an element of, of honor there. I'm not saying you've got to give them titles, but you know we've got to have this in our hearts. Sometimes I think people are more like dishonoring towards those guys. And we've got to be really careful. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, it says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And so he says, man, recognize them. You know, honor them. It's, it's a cool thing for us to do. We're supposed to honor elders who are called and commissioned by God. And when we see the elders ruling well, leading well, then there's what we would call a double honor. Let me ask you a question. You think about this. Between you and the Lord, between your elders, do you have a special place in one sense, you know, in this sense, towards them? Sometimes I think, and we see it in the, in the church, I think that rather than having that honor, there's actually the dishonor, there's actually the cynical, there's actually the critical spirit. And it's, it's just it's a dangerous place to be. Here he says right here that they're worthy of, actually worthy of double honor. Now, uh, you know, here's where it gets a little uncomfortable. You know, it's, it's undoubtedly in reference to compensation. And that means paying those pastors and, and believe it or not, even paying them decently. The word honor is from the same root word we studied earlier. And remember in chapter 5, verse 3, look there real quick. Honor widows who are really widows. Remember we talked about supporting them? You know, the same Greek word. It has a reference to that emotional honor, but it has uh, also reference to that financial honor. And by the way, we talked about that. When you honor your parents, it is a place in your heart that you esteem them, but it also primarily means that when your parents get older, you financially take care of them. So the whole honor thing it comes together here as we go through our studies. And, and we read about honoring pastors in that way, paying the pastors decently. Um, I was listening to a study by Damien Kyle on this. And uh, he was talking about how when, we, when he first got saved, that he heard somebody say, well, double honor. Let me tell you what this means. Double honor means that you find the guy who's the highest paid in the church, then you double it, and that's what you pay the pastor. So when Damien Kyle first heard that in the beginning of his life as a Christian, he thought, that's weird. But then as he continued to grow in the Lord, he said, you know, that makes a lot of sense. No, I'm just joking. He didn't say that. <laughs> no, what we're going to find is that there, there's got to be like a, 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 an obedient medium to this whole thing. I, I talked to one senior pastor, and it kind of stuck with me. He said, I pay my pastors well. And not every church can. You know, it is crazy, you guys. Um, when I first became a pastor, I took a 40% pay cut from my other job. I, I had to pay now not only a 40% pay cut, but I had to pay now for my own health insurance for the next 12 years. Now, am I saying that to brag? No, I'm saying that because, you know, this is what we have to have in our heart. Like, let's just say you want to be a pastor and you read this and you say, Okay, well, right off the bat, I should be, 
you know, having boom, boom, boom. There were days, there were weeks when I didn't even get paid. And, you know, didn't receive a raise for, like I said, maybe 12, 13 years. But you see, you're not in it for that. But then, you know, as you go through and as the Lord, you know, he does whatever he does. Every church is different. Every board is different. Every life is different. God knows what we need and God knows what's best for us. It's not always more money. Not. But I, I like what this one pastor said. He said, I pay my, my, my pastors well. That way, you know, God forbid, this is my conviction that in the, in the ministry, his wife wouldn't have to go get a job. That's not how we should pay them so, you know, squeeze them so tight so that, you know, she's got to work and he's barely making it. No, they're, they're worthy of double honor. He says right here in verse 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And then he says, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. You know, there's different kinds of elders in the church. Warren Worsby said ruling elders who supervise the work of the congregation and teaching elders who taught the word of God. And I agree with him wholeheartedly when he says the local church needs both ruling and teaching. If a church is not organized, there will be, listen to this, if a church is not organized, there will be wasted effort, wasted money, and wasted opportunities. And I, and I can say amen to that. If we're not following the Lord, if we're not following Jesus Christ, there will be wasted effort, wasted money, and wasted opportunities. You see, we need teaching elders. We need ruling elders. He said, if spiritually minded leaders do not supervise the various ministries of the local church, there will be chaos instead of order. And so we need those mature Christian men who love God, who love God's people, who love God's word, and then they lead accordingly. And we need the leading elders. We need the feeding elders. And what he says right here is these men are worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, I know it sounds weird, but like you laboring, studying the Bible. You're like, dude, give me a break. I mean, how hard is that, right? The other day we had a sprinkler break in my yard. And it actually wasn't a sprinkler. It was the water pipe. And, uh, and so we're trying to find and we're, they're digging, they're digging, they're digging. And finally they find the leak. It's underneath the sidewalk all places and so what we had to do because our piping is so old is we had to replace it all from the street to the house and uh and you know what they had to do right they had to dig and then we have a wall uh, a brick wall and then we have our, our our front yard is up high so they had to dig like way down underneath that brick wall and they had to dig way down on the other side and so it was a lot of digging have, have you guys anybody here Ever have a job where you had to dig? Okay, that's hard work sometimes, huh? I mean, I remember when I had a job that I had to dig. I, I think I lasted like two weeks, man. No, I'm just joking. I had other jobs, and so that's why I quit. But anyways, <laughs> you know, the, the, the hard work, the pastors, they should be laboring in the Word. The word, it actually comes from a Greek word that means to cut off, to cut off one's energy. I mean, you labor so hard and you can visualize yourself out there digging that hole and digging that hole and digging that hole. I remember when we went to Cambodia 
And we went to this village. It was called the Rock Village. And in this village, what they would do literally is they would just break rocks all day. So it has a big rock, like mountain, whatever you call it. And you break a piece off that mountain, and there's no, you know, then you break that rock, then you break those rocks. And, and that's what they did all day. Imagine having that job. You're just breaking rocks all day. You should have seen these guys. Talk about cut, man. They were cut. Everywhere in their whole body was cut. And we, as a matter of fact, we went to dig a well on the other side right there. And we would, you know, you know you're digging a well. Okay, think about it, digging a well. Uh, we would do it like 10 times. And we'd be like, you know, <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> and then these guys would come in and they would just laugh at us. Let me just take over right here. Boom, boom, when they dig it, right? I mean, just hard work. And he says, the elders who rule well, they're worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. The ones who are really studying, the ones who are really digging in. These are not the teachers who shoot from the hip. These are not the teachers who don't seriously, soberly study the Bible. These are the leaders who are laboring in the Word, and they dig deep. And let me just share this with you guys. I am so concerned with what's going on in the church today. I don't know if it's just a personal thing, but I can tell the difference when the pastor has studied and when he hasn't. When a teacher has really dug into the Scriptures. You know, sometimes when you're listening to a study, you know, and I just pray you guys would develop ears to really listen to these things. Sometimes they don't give you any solid cross-references. Remember, the best commentary in the Bible is the Bible. Listen for good, solid cross-references. Sometimes there's no references to the original language or any word studies. There's no quotations from other solid teachers. And we do need that. Why? Because if you're the only one teaching this, then maybe you need to dig deeper. Teachers are good. We need to check ourselves. Jesus gave us some good teachers. We need to study. You know, sometimes I'll listen to a study and they're just not really teaching the text. They're talking about all these other things. And, you know, I understand there are times when we divert from the text, we're sensitive to the Spirit, but you know what? Even though some of these guys I listen to, they're great communicators, man, and they and you know, and they'll tell you stories and they'll make you laugh. I want to challenge you as a congregation, as you're listening to studies, just ask this simple question. Are they teaching me the text that they said they were going to teach me? And then sometimes you listen to them and they say the same things over and over and over again. And that's cool. I understand certain things about that. But it's probably because they haven't studied. See, we've got to study. We've got to dig in. We've got to labor hard. We've got to pray. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. The word and doctrine. Some translations say preaching and teaching. Some will tell you that preaching is for the heart, teaching is for the head, or preaching is for the non-believer, teaching is for the believer, or preaching is exhortation, teaching is information. All I know is this. This guy is really studying hard, laboring hard for 
for hours. John MacArthur said when you put a study together, it should take you about 20 hours. And, and it's true. When you're really studying. And so, you know, these guys, what does the Bible teach? What are we to believe? And how is this true? Are we working hard at that? You see, the scriptures tell us that they're to receive compensation. And so we have their rule. They rule well. We have their reward, double honor. And here's the reason that Paul says it. Look at verse 18. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. You know, why, why are you saying this, Manny? Why are you saying that elders, you know, who rule well and who labor in the word are worthy of double honor? Well, because the Bible says it. Paul here gives scriptural support and he quotes, first of all, from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Okay, so I don't know if you can visualize that, but picture an ox and, you know, He's, they've got the grain there, and what he does is he walks back and forth on the threshing floor. Or he's you know, tied to a post. He walks around. And imagine that. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, man. I feel bad. Our dog, Chip. Okay. How many of you here have, like, dogs? And do you feed it, like, table food? A lot of well, some of you probably do. That's terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> no, I don't know. I heard somewhere along the line that it's not good for them. But then again, I heard pizza's not good for me, and then I eat it, and so I don't know how that works, you know. Maybe I'm using that as an excuse, but my poor dog, you know, like we had some, uh, we had a, a barbecue the other day. We had some big, thick burgers that were left over, and so, you know, I purchased them, took them home. We were eating some big, thick homemade hamburgers for like two days, and the whole time we're cooking them and we're eating and we're grubbing, our dog is crying, crying. <laughs> And I know why he was crying, because um, he wanted some of that, you know? He can smell. And normally we don't give him that. That's why he, at the age he is, he's still a healthy dog. I think that's why. But anyways, um, once in a while we'll give him something. But here you can visualize this oxen, and he's treading out the grain. And, you know, this is stuff that he eats. But imagine muzzling that ox while it's laboring, while it's treading out the grain. I mean, the Bible even says that's inhumane to animals. You wouldn't even do that to them. And then he brings it over and he says the same principle is true for those who are laboring as elders. And even in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, and he didn't write that just for animals. He wrote that for people as a principle. And so that's what he's saying right here. If that's the case for animals, be suburban how much more men who are called to deliver God's message to the people and so it's biblical to financially support elders, in one sense, the Old Testament equivalent of priests. You know, Galatians 6.6, 6, it says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. You know, we're blessed here. And if I could just say this, you know, I remember when we first started the church in Almani, and I remember people you know, I would talk to, and they're coming from, you know, maybe wealthier cities or what they would consider wealthier cities. And they said, you know, you're never going to make it in Almani. And I don't know really what they meant by that because, you know, the Lord, he provides. And, you know, we don't ask you guys to give. I mean, we don't like, we pray and we say we're going to receive an offering. 
But I'm blown away on how you guys have, have, have given to this church financially. I'm blown away. I'm blessed that I'm you know, able to support my family and that I have even Henry on staff. My daughter works a few hours a week and, and Margie a few hours a week. And you know, who knows what God's going to do with you know, a staff here that we're able to support. I'm, I'm blown away with that. You guys have been obedient in this area. You know, and not that we've talked about it a lot. You know, someone might ask, well, how much do you make, Manny? You want to know how much we, we make? And you're all, everybody's all awake now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you later, okay? <laughs> but, but it's so amazing, man. And, and, you know, some people say, well, if, the, if they're being fed, then they're just going to be healthy. They're going to give. You know, I don't know how all that works. All I know is that we are, are so blessed. But I remember, you know, years ago, I had a conversation with a young man who said the reason his dad didn't attend this church, the reason his dad went to another church is because at that church, the pastor had what he called a regular job, and he didn't receive compensation from the congregation. And so what he, he basically said is that it's wrong to pay the pastor. Now, you know, and while, you know, I would say there are times when a, a church can't support their pastor, they're just not there yet financially, or uh, different reasons. For example, when Paul was in Corinth, he didn't want to receive a salary from them. It just wasn't right for him there in that setting in Corinth. We have to make sure, though, when we study these things, that we understand it's biblical. And sometimes when they have to go out and get another job, sometimes it's not the best thing for the congregation. It's not the best thing for the pastor or the people. Here's a really cool verse, 2 Chronicles 31.4. It says, Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites, here it is, that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. That's beautiful. You know that, that you guys don't ever stop giving to the, to the work of the ministry and free these guys up to the, so that they can study the Bible, they can devote themselves to the law of the Lord. And I, and I read that, and not only do I see that as something that is informative for the congregation, I also see it as something that's challenging for the pastor. You know, let me ask you a question. What are you doing, pastor? You know, and we've got to do things here and there. We're never above, you know, scrubbing a toilet or vacuuming the rug or whatever. But, you know, do you have a heart that is just in the Word? Are you devoting yourself to the law of the Lord? You know, just reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible, praying, praying, praying for the people. When I think of you guys as a congregation, and I always think about this, man, these guys are out there working hard. They're out there in the sun. They're working hard. They're giving to the ministry. And here I am, supported by them. What am I doing? And there's just a fear inside of me. 
I even tell my daughter, because she works here like 12 hours a week, I tell her, sweetheart, you cannot mess around with God's time. God's people are supporting us. But I wonder sometimes whether or not the leadership of today's church is really taking these things seriously, really studying the Bible the way they should. You know, the reason that Paul can write this to Timothy is because it's biblical. He quotes from Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. And then this is something interesting. He then quotes from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. How many of you here in verse 18, where it says, The labor is worthy of his wages. How many of you here has that in red? It's in red in your Bible. And you know what that means, right? The translators believe that that was something that Jesus said. That was Jesus' words. And so Paul here is quoting from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. And what he's basically saying is that's the scripture. And so already the New Testament church was acknowledging the gospel of Luke as the scripture, something we see even later in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-four regarding the Lord's Supper. And then even later when Peter quotes and talks about Paul in 2 Peter three fifteen through 16. See, the thing is, is that we have to know this. Salary and support for God's servants is scriptural. And it's cool when God just works that whole thing out. But here's the problem. When you got these guys and they are just making way, way too much money. Way too much money. And we see it a lot. You know, I was reading about Kenneth Copeland. And, you know, you look at different articles, not just one source, and you hear these things. He's got this 1,500-acre campus. He has a private airstrip and a hangar for his ministry, a $17.5 million jet, other aircraft, and, you know, just the millions that he makes. I read about other articles like Creflo Dollar. I mean, isn't that, isn't that a, like a bad sign right off the bat? <laughs> I mean, if I was a pastor and my name was, you know, Dollar, I would change my last name. <laughs> this guy, has, he's not ashamed. He probably put that there. Anyways, here's a guy. You know, he's got a, he, you know what car, car, the kind of car he drives? A Rolls Royce. He's got a $2.5 million apartment. And he also has a Manhattan apartment, an Atlanta home. I mean, making millions of dollars. You know, there are other people that I can mention to you. I mean, some that you might think are right on. And and you're wondering, why is he making $2 million? I mean, there's nothing wrong with being rich. I I know one pastor, and I can't, I got to be careful he gives 91% of his income back to the Lord. So you'll see, the only the Lord knows those things. But, but we got to be really, really careful. You know, Benny Hinn, here's a guy, you know, earning a million dollars every single year. Okay, and you're like, well, what's wrong with that? Well, the thing is, is that you're living above the people. You know, Pastor Chuck, one time, there was a time where he had to talk to the Calvary Chapel pastors because they started coming in with their, you know, very, very, very expensive cars. And he just got up one day in front of the congregation and he said, don't live above the people. Live with them. You know, if I was to tell you how much I make, 
Well, let me think about this. No, I'm just joking. You know what's so cool about this? Is some of you here would say, that's a lot. Others of you would hear would say, that's not enough. Most of you here would say, oh, that sounds about right. Because that's where we're supposed to be. You know, $15, $18 an hour. Oh, okay, some of you are like, oh, that's a lot. Some of you here, well, that's not a whole lot. And some of you here are like, well, that's, that's about right. Well, I don't, I don't understand. Where a man thinks he's so good and so anointed and so called by God that he would make millions of dollars. And here's this old lady, this widow, who's making hardly anything. And she's giving to the ministry sacrificially. What's he doing taking from her? To live the way that he's living. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need that. You get a lot of money, give it back. Live in a regular place with regular car, regular clothes. See, and I guess that's where you find the balance. That's why I understand that guy says, man, I want the pastor who's got a regular job. But then you can't go to that extreme either. And so, you know, my prayer, you guys, one day, you know, maybe you're there, maybe you're going to be on the board, maybe you're going to make the decisions or whatever as a church. You understand all these things and the way they work and the dynamics of everything. My prayer, man, is that we would understand what the scriptures teach and that we would have a balance. You see, first of all, we look at compensation when it comes to elders, but then next we look at accusation. Look at verse 19. He says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. And so someone comes up to you and he says, hey, you know, I saw Henry, Liz isn't here, is she? Okay. I saw Henry with another girl, you know. (laughs) Don't tell her I said that, okay. And so, you know, you're like, oh, yeah? Oh, I thought so, you know. Because a lot of times, you know, you hear things and you just, it's almost like you believe what you want to believe. You believe the negative about whatever it is about people, you know. And so, you know, Henry's an elder, Joey, Richard, myself, whoever, you know, and you're like, well, you know what, I'm not going to receive that. He doesn't even say believe. He says, I'm not even going to receive that. You're not even supposed to receive those types of accusations. Someone comes up to you, C.H. Spurgeon, thank God, you know, we have not really dealt with this here. You guys are cool. Maybe you have amongst yourselves. I don't know. But, you know, I haven't anyways. But C.H. Spurgeon said that when someone comes up to him with a little juicy bit of gossip, he tells him, number one, write it down on a piece of paper. A lot of times they don't want to do that. Write it down. Okay, yeah, tell me, write it down. And then, you know, if they do, though, here's the thing. Don't receive it unless there's other witnesses, one, two witnesses, and not just other people who heard the gossip. No, witnesses. People who saw these things, right? And that's where we have to be. And I think not only with elders, but also with everyone where these accusations come out, right? Sometimes we see what happens, you guys. And here's the thing. If the enemy could in some way 
make you think that I don't love God or I don't love you or I don't love his word, then, you know, why would you really even want to come and, and, and sit in a study here? And so that's why he tries to sometimes strip away those things. And you hear a little word here, a little word there. And what he's doing is saying, don't receive those things. That's what he's saying. Don't receive an accusation unless you've got witnesses. Something we read about in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. You see, the accusation should be carefully verified by two or three witnesses, not just two or three others who heard the gossip, but people who were there. And so he says, be careful. When you're dealing with elders, here's the way it works with compensation. When you're dealing, dealing with elders, here's the way it works with accusation. But what if it's true? And a lot of times, it is true. Right? And that's where we read in verse 20, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. See, elders are to be protected from accusations, but they're not to receive immunity from true ones. Those elders who continue in sin must bear the consequence. A sinning elder has nowhere to hide. And that's another area where I think, you guys, we as a church, we've messed up, man. You know, I, you know in the Middle Ages, uh, there was a time when the church protected its leaders against accusation by demanding that there be 72 witnesses. Think about that. Talk about going overboard. And so if it's a false accusation, don't receive it. But if it's a true sin, it's been confirmed then don't, don't let them slip by, you guys. You know, we've got to deal with these things. It's important to understand that everyone in leadership is not shielded from accountability. It even makes one more accountable. You guys remember James chapter 3, verse 1, that not many of you become teachers knowing what? You're going to receive a stricter judgment. And so when that happens, you know, he must be publicly rebuked. So the people understand why he is no longer in leadership. Let's just say one day, you know, you guys came to church and I wasn't here. You know, and then so you're like, hey, what happened to Manny? And, and no, one, no one said anything. No one said anything. It'd be weird. You'd probably go, where is that guy? You know, is he, did he die? What? No, it has to be dealt with publicly. You know, this is what happened with him. You're no longer here because this is what happened. God forbid that that ever should be the case. But if it is, and not just me, any other elder, man who has been called and commissioned to such a high and holy office, then it's dealt with in a public sense. It's interesting. The word rest right here, it says so that the rest might fear. It speaks of the rest, those others of the same kind. And so contextually speaking, it's actually speaking of elders. And it says, listen, let me tell you something. You as a church, you guys as a church, you put so much trust in us. You're giving to the ministry. You're sitting in these studies. You're following our leadership as an elder. So you elders, you better be right on. And if you're not right on, 
We will call you to the carpet. And if you choose to sin against God and against his people, understand that we will let the people know what's going on. And so when that happens, the rest of the elders are like, ooh, I better love my wife. I better stay true to my wife. I better stay true to God. That's the way it should be. But a lot of times when it's happening nowadays, oh, like, oh, you had an affair? Oh, it's no big deal. Yeah, you can still be pastor. Yeah, I can pat on the back. We love you, bro. Yeah, I love you too, but you do me a favor. Sit down. Right? You know, you're not, you disqualified yourself. See, there's this thing that and we, we find, man, this has got to be something that is done in a, in a way that brings fear and, 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 then, and then Paul knows how hard this can be. So in verse 21, he just says, I charge you before God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, this is a, such a solemn call. Elect angels. And elect angels is probably just in reference to the angels who haven't fallen. Just like Christians are the elect, right? Those who chose God, those who are chosen by God. Angels that haven't fallen are just the elect, those who chose God, those who are chosen by God, same thing. He says, I charge you before you know God and the angels. Jesus said the same thing, right? That you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Yeah, but they're my bro. Yeah, but they're my friend. Yeah, but this is God's church. And no one gets that, that special treatment, so to speak. And so what does he share? He shares, man, this is something that we have to have. As elders, this is the way we do the compensation. As elders, this is the way we deal with accusations. And as elders, this is the way we do ordinations. He says in verse 22, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. And then in verse 24, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. I'm not going to teach verse 23. Um, I'm just joking. <laughs> I want to see what you guys say. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. And, and all he's saying is, listen, you guys, you don't lay hands on someone hastily. You don't ordain an, an elder right away. And, and that's something that, to be honest with you, over the years that, that I've um, maybe gone to the extreme in, you know, where I took forever you know, to appoint this person or or a person over that ministry or or whatever. It was never it's never something that you just rush into. Oh, he's got charisma. Oh, everybody likes him. He's such a nice guy. Yeah, but the Lord will show you. I think the Lord will show the leaders who the leaders will be. It's it's an interesting thing, and you pray and. You guys have heard that time is the test of all things. It takes time. And you see not only their actions, but you see their reactions. And see their gifts and their callings. It's amazing to me how some churches, I know a church, you know, they got like, you know, 27 pastors and and, and 33 people in the church, you know. (laughs) It's like, man, you know, are you sure they're all gifted and called by God to be pastors, to be shepherds? You know, you got to be careful. And so that's all he's saying. You know, and Greg, I like what Greg Laurie, Damon Kyle mentioned it. He says, it's easy to get someone into the ministry. It's so hard to get them out. If you put the wrong person in there, it's going to be tough. Tough for everybody. 
And that's why, you know, you don't do this hastily. You know, we read through the scriptures in Acts chapter 6, verse 6, Acts chapter 13, verse 3, how, how they would lay hands on people. And what that is, is like you're, you're giving your approval. There's the, there's the communion there. There's the fellowship on there. To lay hands upon someone in this context was to affirm their suitability for an acceptance into public ministry. It expressed solidarity, union, identification with them. We know that this had its practice and its roots in the Old Testament. See, what happens if I ordain someone and it wasn't the Lord and then they go out and I just did it like, oh, you know, we need somebody to fill this spot. Sometimes, you know, leaders will be tempted to do that. Well, we need somebody here and he's the only one available. And so let's just, you know, let's just put him there. When that's not his gift, that's not his calling. When God was just saying, you know, I don't even want to do that ministry. That's why there's nobody there. But anyways, you put him there. And then what happens is he goes and he molests one of the kids. Okay, you're so mad at him for doing that, right? And I'm not saying that this is always the pastor's fault, but if he did it flippantly, he's to blame too. You're sharing in that sin. And that's why these things have to be done so carefully, you guys. You know, in verse 24 and 25, he says, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with people, you know, some guys you see right away, some men sins, oh, you know, they're not pastor material. It's okay, we love them, but they're not called to there. You know, others, um, they follow later. And what that means is it takes time. Eventually you see it. Eventually you see what's going on and you, you do a little investigation. Okay, well, we found out, you know, that's not what God's called you to. And verse 25, likewise, the good works of some are, are clearly evident. You know, some it's like, man, you know, did you just see it? Oh, it's just so easy to see. Can't be hidden. They love the Lord. Oh, yeah. And you ordain them. See, the way that it works, prayer, time, getting to know them in different situations. You know, sometimes I think guys, they want that position and they want it for money. And, you know, this is what I've learned over time, especially as a pastor. I mean, it's got to be your life. And I, when I see guys and all they, all I see, all I see are my limitations. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do that. That's cool. Then, then just kick it where you are. Kick it there. That's cool. But I know what a pastor is called to do. I was telling you like $15 to $18 an hour. It's not because we work 40 hours. There's a lot more hours than that. See? And that's okay. We're all called to different places in the body. You know, in verse uh, 23, and we'll close with this. He says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. I already know what you're thinking. <laughs> Why is it that pe- the, only, the only verse people know in the Bible are Jesus, you know, he turned water to wine. <laughs> and as I've told you guys before, man, you've got to remember that the, the wine back then was one-eighth the strength it is now. The water back then, even when they were fixing our water pipes the other day, the guy was telling me, he's all, man, you guys don't drink this water, do you? 
I said, no, we don't. You know, we have bottled water. But even here, and you go to Cambodia, you go to Mexico, you don't drink the water, right? Especially us, we're not used to that. But, you know, that's what Paul is saying, Timothy, you know what? And here's the thing, and we'll close with this. Um, in the middle of all the commands, you see his care. And I love that, you know, I love that. You know, Timothy, I know you've been having some stomach problems. And and I care. I'm cognizant of that. I'm aware of that. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. You know, and, um, you know, if, if there was health and wealth, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, why in the world is Paul allowing Timothy to have stomach problems? Why isn't he saying, in Jesus' name, you're healed? What's wrong with you? Don't you have enough faith? I mean, I'm Paul. You're Timothy. Come on. No. You, you got some stomach problems? We prayed over you. It, it's not healed yet. You know, and it's okay to have a little, a little wine. Not a lot. The Bible never, ever condones being drunk. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is a wasted life, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. See? And so, all I'm saying is that it's okay to have medicine. It's just not okay to sin. And, you know, sometimes we take a little medicine. And God's doing a work. He's doing a deeper work. He's keeping us on our knees. And sometimes when we go through the physical infirmities that we go through in life, it's because God wants to do a much, much deeper healing inside of you, inside of your heart, your inner man. And so if that's you, man, I pray that you would just draw close to God. And I think it's just so cool the way that Paul, you know, in the middle of all these commands about compensation, about accusation, about ordination, that he says, and by the way, Timothy, I care about you. I'm thinking about you. What a heart. What a heart that he has. It was given to him by Jesus. And I think that in closing, I'd like to say that. That's what the Lord is towards you, man. He loves you. And in the middle of all the commands that we have in the Bible, yes, there are many. We've got to straighten up, right? He loves you, man. He loves you and he cares about you. All these things are for your benefit. And so I pray that we would, we would know that. We would know all these things that God calls us to as a church. And so let's pray. Father, what an awesome God you are, Lord. What an awesome God you are. How beautiful are your people. Lord, as I look... We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.